You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Amen. Good morning, church. It is such an amazing thing to be a Christian, to be a disciple. I'm so fired up to be a Christian. I love it. I enjoy every bit of it. And I can't wait to meet my Savior Jesus one day. The title of my sermon this morning is Our Hope in Christ. And before we move forward, let's pray. Father, what a privilege. What an honor to be able, Lord, um, to know you. Thank you so much for forgiving my sins. Forgiving me, Lord God Almighty, and inheritance in your house. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us a hope in Christ. We know, Father, this earth is not our home. We are here just, Father, for mission. Help us this morning to really understand your heart. Father, please display your glory today, Lord. I don't know how to speak, but you just set me apart. Consecrate me for your glory and speak to your people. You know our needs. And thank you so much for the church. The church is so amazing. What an incredible idea from you. Father, to recreate humanity, Father, breaking down all walls and barriers and bringing people from all nations, culture, traditions, and from all tribes, Father, and putting them together with you in your house as your family. Jesus is coming soon to take your family back home and help us to appreciate one another, to love one another, and to give our best to save more people for your glory. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Our hope in Christ. I'm very grateful to God and thank you, Brother Michael, for giving me the chance to share my heart today. Um, First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. This is an amazing scripture. God's great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope. What is that living hope all about? It has to do with heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 from 3. The Bible says over here, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from what? From the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. You see that? Christianity, our love, our our relationship with Christ, start over here on earth. But it has an incredible destiny to it. We are passing by. We are going to heaven. When was the last time you thought about heaven as a Christian? You see, hope, according to human beings, when you look in the dictionary, hope is defined as wishing for something with expectation of its fulfillment. That's hope according to human being. It's a desire or a company confidence expectation of something that you want. But you know what? It's not all that you hope for as a human being that come to be. Most of the time we're disappointed. Even though we have hope about, some, about things. I know there are a lot of singers in the house, in this room, that want to get married. That's a hope. And I guarantee you God is going to bless you. It's going to happen. 
As long as you stay committed to God and put God first. God will bless you. And some people are dreaming of becoming rich. Like Bill Gates. That's still hope. But I just don't know if it's going to be fulfilled one day. Maybe you want to win the Wimbledon title one day and you're starting playing tennis today. Well, I'm almost 48. So I'm not so sure I can make that goal one day. But still hope. You see, as human beings, we hope for things. Sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. So human hopes is not really sure, 100%. But Christian hope is different. It's based on the certainty that what God promised is going to happen. It is very different. First Corinthians chapter 15. Our hope is built on certainty. Even though we don't have it now, we know heaven is going to happen. There's no chance that might not happen. Heaven will happen. First Corinthians chapter 15. I hope you're fired up about going to heaven. Who want to go to heaven? You raise your hands. Who want to die? Oh, you see that? The hands are going down. How are you going to go there if you don't die? You see now you don't really believe in heaven. You see that? You don't want to die, but you want to go there. How are you going to go there? First Corinthians 12, 15 verse 12. Look at this one. I love this scripture. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You see that? Absolutely. Our hope is certain. Paul is telling here some people who are doubting resurrection. And at the time he's writing this letter, Christ rose about 20 years before that. Because the letter was written about 53 or 57 AD. So some people start doubting. If he really Christ raised from the dead. And Paul is saying, if there's no resurrection, don't come to church anymore. It's useless. If there's no resurrection of the dead, why are you evangelizing? Why are you sacrificing? Why are you turning your back on, you know, sinful pleasures? If life is only going to stop after you die, there's no need to believe in God. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, actually, the resurrection of Christ is an actual fact. It's an historical event. It did happen. Christ is alive. And he didn't rest in a corner hidden somewhere. It was in public. People saw him. He presented himself to all his apostles. And the Bible says about four, about 500 Christian disciples saw him at once. It was not a collective hallucination there, right? They saw him. They ate with him. They touched him. He spent 40 days with them after he came out of the tomb and spoke to them. And they saw him ascended in heaven. And you know, people doubt, they say, okay, how can you be sure that, you know, he really went out of that tomb? Well, we know as a fact, through archaeology, pharaohs that died 5,000 years ago, we still know where exactly they were buried, and we can see their body. You watch those documentaries on TV, and you see the dead bodies of pharaohs. They've been alive 5,000 years ago. 
Their tombs are still existing. There's no confusion about the tombs of, you know, this pharaoh and the tomb of that other pharaoh. They know exactly who is in that tomb. Now, if they can trace back those pharaohs from 5,000 years, Jesus Christ lived on this planet just 2,000 years ago. In history, that's a very short time. And we know exactly where Jesus was buried in Jerusalem. And let me tell you the truth today. That tomb is empty today. There's no dead body in it. Christ rose from the dead. He's alive. And he's the first fruit. Telling us that those who believe in him are going to be resurrected just like Christ. So our hope in Christ is built on that solid evidence. If Christ has risen, you're going to rise as well. Amen. Amen. So the Christian hope is very strong. So my sermon today will consist in exploring that hope. So we're going to talk about the nature of that hope, number one. We're going to talk about how to get that hope, the administration of the hope. And then we're going to talk about the result of that hope, number one. Our hope in Christ is nature. What is that exactly? Romans chapter 5. Our hope in Christ is na- its nature. Is it possible as a Christian to really know where we are going and what is awaiting us in Christ when we die? Faithful to Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, our joy as disciples should be based on the promise of heaven. The hope of glory that's awaiting all of us if we stay faithful. What is that exactly? Luke chapter 10, you see over here, Jesus encouraging his disciples to be focused on that living hope that's awaiting them in heaven. Luke chapter 10, from 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's a cool thing, right? To have all the demons submitting to you, right? In reply, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name are written in heaven. What was the last time that you took a time as a Christian, as a disciple, to truly thank God for having your name written in heaven? When last did you do that? I think we are more focused on earthly blessings. We don't really think about our heavenly rewards. Most of the time. So it's telling them, yeah, it's good to have demons submitting to you, but that's, that's not supposed to be the source of your joy. The source of your joy is not your accomplishment in Christ. The source of joy is not your gifts, it's not your performances. That's not the true source of your joy. You should rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That is a stable joy. Because if you rejoice... On your accomplishment, tomorrow you get, you know, today you might be, you know, hot dog tomorrow, today. But tomorrow you're going to be a dog food. Because our life is just like this. Today you have a little bit more money in your pocket, tomorrow you have, you're broke. That's how it goes, right? Today you're in love, you're ready to go to the court and get married, you're fired up about that brother, that sister. But we come back two years after that and we look at that marriage. Now you're struggling, you're fighting, and you want to get get out of that relationship ups and down you want to have a baby now you have five you don't know how to take care of them and then you're depressed you see any joy that is linked to a material possession or a, an earthly blessing have limits the only source of joy that is stable forever is knowing that our name is written in heaven is your name written in heaven if you're not a disciple, your name is not in heaven. Right. You have to think about that today. And by the, by the end of my sermon, you will know exactly what to do to get there. So what's the nature of that hope? See, so look at here in John chapter 17, verse 2. So when we go to heaven, what, what do we have, guys? What's waiting us over there in heaven? John 17, verse 2. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have, you have given him. You see, Jesus will give eternal life to all those who stay faithful to him. You die 
as a disciple, you have eternal life. Does that fire you up? To know that you're going to live forever with God. Some of us, we can't even think about that because that's too good to be true. And some of us also, because we're not enjoying our relationship with God right here, we're thinking, how is it going to be if I have to spend eternity with God? It's going to be boring, right? No, you don't know what you're talking about. Spending eternity with God, no suffering, no sickness anymore, no disease, no challenge, no economic crisis, no, right? no summer, you know, see cycle of season changing every time, you know, no depression. You are there forever with God. Eternal life is what is awaiting all of us in this room when we become true disciples of Christ Jesus. And if you don't have eternal life, you got to think about it right now. Because if your hope, if your life is limited by what you want to accomplish on earth, this life is so uncertain. Like I used to live in Africa, I've been minister in Africa for so long, and I know how people struggle. I mean, people struggle everywhere. They struggle in Africa for food, diseases. They struggle in India. They struggle over right here. You don't struggle here because you don't have food. You struggle here because you have too much food. (laughs) You struggle. And then people in Africa say, if we go over there, we don't, we're not going to struggle because we're going to have a lot of food. And I'm telling them, no, 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 no. You're going to have a different kind of problem. You're going to be fighting to stay grateful. Your heart is going to be hardened by sinful deceitfulness. Right? It's better you don't have those internet connections down there in Africa in some of those cities so that you don't struggle with pornography. Every blessing that comes on earth has a responsibility to it. Nothing is perfect in this world. If your life is limited by what you want today, you might be gone tomorrow. Who guarantee you that you're going to be alive next year? We make so much plan about our life. You know, I'm going to do this in two years. I'm going to do that in four years. Who told you that you're going to even see tomorrow? You don't know. This life is uncertain. It's going to go. But you want to go to heaven so that you can have eternal life. Amen? And then we're going to have something else very impressive in heaven. Philippians chapter 3. You want to know that? What are we going to have in heaven? Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 to 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. We say amen. You see, we are dressing, you know, different colors from different nations. But actually, as disciples, our citizenship is heaven. Amen? And we eagerly await what? A Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can you imagine that? We're going to be transformed. After we die, faithful to to God, when Christ comes for the second time, we're going to be transformed. Those who are already dead, they're going to have a living, a glorious body, just like Christ's body right now. You're going to be able to fly like an angel. You can go from a star to a star. Right? You can visit the whole universe in one second. You can come in this room. You can move around. There's no sickness. You don't get home. You don't have, you know, all this, you know, joint pains and all this stuff. You're always fired up. You're going to have that glorified body. You can ascend to heaven. That's what is awaiting you as disciples. God promise is going to happen if you stay faithful. What else are you going to have? 7 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. You see some of us would rather have God give us a lot of money. Because all these promises we can't really relate. Because we don't know what it is exactly. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Thank you very much my brother. Verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. The Bible says over here. This is a trustworthy saying. If we endure, we will also reign with Christ. We will reign with Christ. Isn't that amazing? We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to sit on thrones with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to reign over the dominion of God, over the universe. Because we are coerced with Christ. We are partakers of Christ's inheritance. We're going to Reign with Christ. And when you reign with Christ, you're going to judge the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. You're going to judge the world. The world. This is in the Bible, guys. Are you reading your Bible? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Look at this, this one. The Bible says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? 
You see that? And a little bit before that, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge tribal cases? Do not know that you will judge angels? We are going to judge angels. And I don't believe we're going to judge the angels that are faithful to God because they don't need judgment. Right? We're going to judge the fallen angels. We're going to judge the devil as disciples, co-heirs of Christ. I mean, when you share in somebody's inheritance, that means you have the same right as the same, as, as this person. If you are two children from one dad and you are partakers of the same inheritance, you have the same rights. Amen? And we are children of God, so we have the same rights. With Christ Jesus, we're going to judge the angels. And you can't even judge a dispute amongst you as disciples. You're struggling to settle a case. You're keeping anger, hatred, all these crazy feelings in your heart against your brother, against your sister. We can judge it. It's simple, right? To keep that peace. Because we're going to judge angels. Isn't that amazing? And God will keep his promise. You know, God makes sure that all those who believe in him from the Old Testament to the New Testament would not struggle with his ideas of going to heaven. He gave them a glimpse of heaven most of the time to strengthen their faith. And you see all these Old Testament figures, most of them have seen a glimpse of heaven. Let's look in, in, in uh, let's, let's talk about Jacob. Genesis 28. I love this scripture over here. Most of the prophets, most of the people in the Old Testament, they had a glimpse of heaven so that their faith can be strong. Genesis 28. And once you've seen it, Nobody can take it away from you. Look at this. I love this scripture over here from 10. Jacob was leaving his family after, you know, he, uh, he got the birthright from his brother Esau. And then he had this crazy dream over here. Genesis chapter 28 verse 10. Jacob led Bathsheba and set out for Aaron. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. What happened when he was sleeping? He had a dream in which he saw a stairway, a ladder, resting on the earth, which he stopped reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You see, later on, centuries later, Jesus referred to the scripture. And said that stairway that Jacob saw was him, Jesus. John 151. Uh, John 151. Jesus will refer to this particular event as a foreshadow of his glory. John 151. 51 over here, he says, look at this one. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And right here, Jesus said, absolutely, you're going to see me ascending, and you're going to see me, angels ascending and descending on me. That means that ladder, that stairway Jacob saw was Jesus. That stairway will take you to heaven, and Jesus is the only bridge that puts heaven and humanity, the fallen humanity together. If you don't ascend on Jesus, you can't get to heaven. Jacob saw a glimpse of heaven. That's amazing. What about Genesis 49 verse 10? When he was whole, Jacob, God revealed him something about the coming Messiah. Genesis 49 verse 10, the Bible says over here, what happened? He predicted this. Verse 10. The scepter would not depart from Judah, nor the ruler start from between his feet. Until he comes to whom, the Shiloh to whom it belongs. Who is the Shiloh? The Shiloh is the one that is to come. Jacob was referring to Christ having authority and dominion. Jesus will be the one coming from Judah and holding the scepter of salvation. So he saw Jesus. 
You see, Jesus, God encouraged their faith by showing them a glimpse of their inheritance in heaven. By telling them, don't worry, faithful servant. See what is awaiting you if you stay strong. If you persevere up to the end, you're going to be here one day. I mean, you go through the Bible. Do you remember Jesus claiming that Moses knew about him? Oh, he said, oh, you believe in Moses, but you don't believe in me. That's crazy. Because Moses wrote about me. They're like, you're crazy. You don't even have 50 years old. He's like, no, 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 no. Moses wrote about me. Now, if you go in the Old Testament, you'll find out that absolutely Moses knew about Christ Jesus. Do you know that? Let me show you one scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. We got to study the Bible, guys. We have a lot of promises and great stuff in the Bible that we have to own and claim our own. Amen? God promises are true. Hebrews chapter 11. Talking about Moses over here in verse 24. How did Moses see Jesus? Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to what? To his rewards. What's that reward? By faith, he let Egypt not, not, not fear the king's hunger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses saw Jesus. I mean, how can you turn your back on the treasures of Egypt if you don't have something better being offered to you? Right? He was the sons of the Pharaoh's daughter. That means Moses had the right to become a Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself. He had all the treasures of Egypt at his feet. But he turned his back on all these treasures and he chose to suffer with the people of God. Why? Because he had his eyes focused on something invisible, on the reward that Christ was going to give him if he stayed faithful. You see, tell me, how are you struggling with sin? How are you going to overcome sin if your eyes are not focused on the reward that's awaiting you? Some of us, we're telling God, we don't need a reward. God, I just want to work for you. Let me tell you this this morning. God doesn't want slaves in his house. He wants children. And I'm going to repeat it. God doesn't want slaves. He wants children. He promised that those who seek him will find him and they have to believe that he exists and that he reward those who are to seek him. God wants to reward you. And the only motivation that will give you the strength to overcome sin is to have your eyes focused on heaven. Focus on the reward God has for you. Then you can turn your back on whatever the devil is trying to offer you to get you away from God. You see, people who fall away from, for a lady, for immorality, for money, they have never really known about the reward that's awaiting them in heaven. Because you can exchange that. You see, Esau selling his birthright. How will you sell your birthright for a bowl of soup? How can you do that? There's something insane going on there, right? So Esau was there. He was coming back from hunting. He didn't catch any stuff. And, and then his brother was cooking this favorite meal that he liked. Because his brother knew that what Esau had was better than the food that he was cooking. So he was going after that inheritance that Esau, his brother, had. So he was very smart. It's like, my brother had something he doesn't really know about. He doesn't know the value of what he has. The way I see him behave with his birthright, he doesn't value that. He doesn't pray. He doesn't read the Bible. He doesn't talk about that. But he always talk about ladies, women, about food. He doesn't know. So he, he loves food more than his birthright. But I love the birthright more than food. So let me give him what he wants so that I can take him from him what he doesn't know. And then he came out and he cooked this bowl of stew. And this guy was coming back from hunting, singing, la, 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 smelling that, you know, that pizza, pepperoni pizza smell. And he's like, where is it coming from? Hmm, whoa, whoa, my brother Jacob, what is that? Food, bro, food. Food. He's like, can I have it? Jacob's like, it's yours. As long as you give me your birthright. You know what he said? What is that birthright you're talking about? When I'm getting hungry, give me that food and you take it. Take it, bro. You want a servant serve? I'll give you more lentils, more beans. And he 
he sold his birthright for food. And we have a lot of disciples doing the same thing today. With their inheritance in Christ, their heavenly house, their heavenly reward, they are about to trade it for earthly possessions. Why are you falling away from God today? You want to get married, but you can't wait? You can't wait. You, you want to have it now, right? The devil is going to offer you a lady in exchange of your birthright. He's going to offer you exactly what you want to take what you don't really value. Is that what you're getting today? Oh, no, the church, you know, I don't really like this. I don't like that. I'm not fired up about this. I'm not fired up about that. You know, I, I don't really, you know, Jesus is good, but, but you know, and, and I see you the way you come to church. You're dragging yourself to come here, and, you know, you don't, you're not feeling fired up, and your expression, your gesture would tell about your treasure. What do you really treasure? And then when I see you out there playing football, you're full of passion and zeal. When I see you out there dancing, you know, birthday parties, you are like a life. Like, when you come to church, you are shy. You are shy. Why are they forcing me to speak to everybody? That's not my nature. I am an introvert by nature. I'm very calm. I don't speak. And then, a couple of hours away, they see the same person in Brighton, partying, doing DJ, you know, karaoke. Oh, la, la, la. oh, okay, that's something. You see, do you really value your relationship with God? Your attitude will show it. That's right. Do you value your birthright? Your attitude will show it. Right. And if you don't repent, the devil is going to get your birthright in exchange of what you want. So look at the thing that the devil is giving you to make you fall away. If you don't get rid of that, you're going to lose your birthright. Don't do that. They saw a glimpse of heaven. David saw the glory of Christ. David knew that Jesus was going to rise, rise, rise from the death. He knew that Jesus was going to return to judge the world. Psalm 96 verse 13. Isaiah saw the glory of God. You see, he was still on earth, but he saw heaven. Isaiah chapter 6 from 1 to 5. He saw heaven open. He saw the Lord seated on a throne. He was amazed. He was like, this is incredible. I can't I can survive. I've seen the living God. Can you imagine having an encounter of God? God coming to your bed. You're struggling your faith. And God's like, open your eyes. And then he opened the skies like a veil, like this. Boom. Look at what is awaiting you right there. And stop struggling. And then you're looking into heaven. And then you see Jesus sitting at the right hand side of God. The true high priest. You see the angels ministering in heaven. And you see your room. That's where you're supposed to be when you die. And you see all these treasures in heaven for you. And God is like, stop struggling. Go back to work. When you wake up that morning, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep struggling? If you've seen it, that's it. Nobody can take it away from you. But you don't have to see it. It's true. It's in the Bible. And everything that's recorded in the Bible is for you. And God will keep his promises. Amen. That's what is awaiting us, guys. Are you fired up about that? Yeah. Now, how do you get in that hope? It's not everybody who lives on this planet who's going to go to heaven, unfortunately. Heaven is not for everyone. It's for those who really want it. Right? Ephesians chapter 2. Are you going to go there? It's your decision. But God will show you the way, the administration of the hope in Christ. Number two point. Point number two. Ephesians chapter 2 from 8 to 10. This summertime is very hot, right? For it is by grace you have been saved. We say amen. amen. Through faith, and this not from yourself. It is a gift of God. It is not by works. We say amen. amen. So that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is an amazing scripture. God wants everyone to be safe. But unfortunately, it's not everyone that's going to be safe. Because you see, the Bible says salvation is a gift from God. What about if you come this morning and you have an amazing gift with me, for me? Right? Like you come with an iPod. And I'm coming out of the jungle. I don't know what is an iPod. I want food, right? I don't know what you mean by iPod. You know, there are some people on this planet, they, don't have, no, they have no idea about what is an iPod. You go to Sudan, go to Somalia, go to Ethiopia. 
where kids are starving, just want a piece of bread to eat. And then go there with high parts. Say, hey kids, come on, I have an incredible gift for you there. The latest version of iPod. I don't know if it's iPod 45 or iPod 65, but iPod. You can watch movie on it, you can travel on it, you can do everything on it, you can do your makeup on it, you know, you can, you know, everything. All right? So kids, come on, come on, come on, have something for you. They're, like, they're all coming. They think you're coming with food. And they said, iPod. They're going to curse you. <laughs> They're going to take it, look at it like this, look at this, and throw it away. So do you have bread? Whoosh. When somebody doesn't know the value of what God has in store for him, it behaves like a pig. You trample that on your food. You think it's nothing. You see, salvation is a gift from God. But most of the time, we don't understand the nature of that gift. So we're like, what is that? Salvation. I don't need salvation. You go out to evangelize, share your faith in the street of Stratford. You go everywhere in London. I mean, people look at you, they're like, what are you talking about? Hello, sir, sorry, I have something incredible. You see, I go out and then I'm passionate because I know what I'm trying to share. I'm like, if you know what I'm about to try to give you, you'll be chasing me to have it. Let me tell you, you're like, what is that? It's about this great salvation in Christ. They're like, oof, what is that? No have time for that. No have time for that. But one day, one day you will discover what you miss. And that will be too late. It's a gift from God. But just because it is a gift doesn't mean everybody's going to get it. You need to know what it is and you need to want to have it. That's why it comes with conditions. Right. Salvation is a gift, but you have to go and get it. If we say there's free gold in Stratford, if you stay over here in chalk form, you're not going to have it. Even though it's still free, right? Whoever go to Brighton, there's massive amounts of diamonds in the street of Brighton. It is free, good news. Now, but you live in Golders Green. That's where you live. But the gold, the diamond is in Brighton. It is free. So what are you going to do to go there? Are you going to stay in Golders Greens and claiming that freedom? Like, oh, it's free? You're not going to have it. You have to stand up, walk, take the train or the car or jog if you don't have money. Go to Brighton and get your free diamond in the streets. That's why salvation, Jesus died for the, on the cross for you. You don't have to die on the cross. That's why the Bible says salvation is not about works. You don't have to die on the cross. That is already done. The finished work of Jesus is enough to save you. But you see, Jesus have this gift you have to go and get it. And he says, repent. Turn you away on your sinful life and come to me. Now it's your decision. You have to make that decision so that you can come get that salvation. What about if you want to keep all your baggages? Jesus, I want that gift, but I want to stay in this impure, immoral relationship. I love my boyfriend. I want to take him to heaven as well. I love my sin. I love pornography. I love to masturbate, God. I love it. But give me the gift of salvation with all this. Jesus is like, no way. Turn away from your sins and come get it. So you see, it's your decision to turn away from your sins. That's not God doing it. It's you turning your way. If you look up to Jesus, you have the power to turn your back from your sins. Amen? Amen. Yes, absolutely. I was living a sinful life. I was 24 years old. My goal was to go to the state, you know, build an offer and have a lot of money. Sleeping with girls, you know, having, a, having fun. But when I study the Bible, Jesus said, okay, I have free salvation for you. Gold in heaven, diamond in heaven. But you turn away from sinful life. It's a decision. So how can you get salvation if you have never repented from your sin? That doesn't make sense. So most of us, we are religious people. We go to church, you know, we baptize Baptists, Methodists, you know, Buddhists, and all kinds of denominations, but we've never turned away from our sins. So we go to church, we're singing in the choir. I'm singing in the choir. I'm part of the choir in the church. Hello, hallelujah, hello, hallelujah. But your boyfriend is sitting just right there in the temple of God, so-and-so call. And then after the service, after you've sung these great songs, you go out and commit immorality. And then you come back. You're going to have some pastors in the pulpit sleeping with people in the church and then opening the Bible. Do you think we're going to go to heaven with this? No, you're not going to go to heaven if you don't change. 
No, heaven has no value. So you have to turn your back on your sinful nature so that you can get salvation. And once you've repented, you got to get baptized. Amen? you got to get baptized. It's a free gift. But you need to go underwater first. Don't say, I don't know how to swim. you got to go underwater. Amen? When you go underwater, then you're going to get salvation. That's from God. Point number three to finish. What are the results of this grace? This hope in us. Once we have it, once we are sure that we have it, what are the results? What does that produce? Do we just stay home and sleep and wait for Jesus' second coming? No. Salvation is supposed to produce good works in your life. Number one. This is what salvation produced. Number one, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. You want to have the evidence of your salvation? Read this scripture and check yourself. Titus chapter 2 from 11 to, to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. We say amen. amen. The grace is for all men, right? But it teaches us to do what? To say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control, upright, and godly life in this present age. You see that? While we, are, we wait for the blessed hope, you see, while we wait for heaven to appear, for the glorious appearing of Jesus, what are we supposed to be doing with that incredible treasure in our heart on earth? The Bible says, salvation, the grace of God, that hope in you is going to teach you to say no to ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Everything that brings shame on God's name. Right. Everything that defies God's temple. You cannot absolutely be a disciple and keep living in immorality. It doesn't work that way. Because when you become a Christian, you become the temple of God. You say amen. And in the temple of God, the Holy Spirit doesn't share a room with demons. No. You are consecrated. You are holy. The Bible is saying, when you are saved, then the evidence of your salvation is your holiness. Absolutely. You don't get holy to get saved. You are holy because you are saved. You see the difference? You are set apart. Consecrated through repentance and baptism. You become a true disciple of Christ. And then you are a holy temple. And you keep the temple holy. That means you are so in love with God. So in awe. So passionate with your living God. You are so respectful of God. That you don't tolerate anything defiling to come into your heart. If you have salvation, you say no to ungodliness. Some of us, we're not doing that. We want to have the best of the both worlds together. We're still playing with sin. All right? Oh, no, I'm loving this brother, that sister over there. I want to sleep with that person there. I want to sleep with that pig, with that frog. And I'm going to come and kiss Jesus. That doesn't work that way. No way. And some of us, you know what? In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says what? Get rid. Throw off everything that hinders your work with God. Throw off the sin. That easily entangled us. Some of us we confuse confession with repentance. Holiness is not just confessing, it's changing. Throw away, lay aside, remove anything defiling from the temple. But some of us we made this a game. Now we know, okay, as, as long as I keep confessing my sin, I'm okay. You know that? Okay, I'm going to go back to masturbation. I'll do it. And I feel guilty. I need to talk to somebody in the church that will help me. Just pray for me, bro. I'm going to be okay because the fact of confessing is enough. Hey, bro, do you know what I... Bro, I'm struggling right here. I just went through something terrible, bro. I was watching internet pornography. Did you hear me? Okay, thank you so much. Pray for me, bro. Bye-bye. Ooh, I feel good now, man. Ooh, that was so heavy on my conscience. Now I feel so good. Let me go back for the second round of watching pornography again. Mm, taking the like in that. Mm. Oh, I feel dirty again. Brother Jamal, let me talk to you. Uh, let me throw all my garbage on you there. Let me confess. You know what? I just fall into it again, bro. Amen. Pray for me. Pray for me. Bye-bye. Ooh. Oh, let me watch these ladies. You know, I'm taking the escalator, escalators. Let me watch those ladies. Let me, let me watch them. Let me... And the angels are watching you and say, look at this guy. What's he doing? And you come back. Let me confess. Confess. It's okay. But you never change. Actually, if you don't, you're not careful, it's going to become a game. 
but you're going to lose this game. You don't play with God. You're going to fight to stay holy. I've made a decision, even though I'm 48 years old, I don't have my computer just sitting in my bedroom, close the door, and walking on some, some stuff. The Bible says run away from sin. So I put my computer in the living room where my kids can see me. If you're watching something that you don't want your kids to see you watching, that means you're, you're doing something that's not good. You know that, right? You've got to take those decisions. Oh, lost sin over ladies in the street, you know, and I just lost, I just lost. Keep your eyes in your pockets. The lost. It's not like, oh, I'm obliged to do it. The devil's like, I'm going to feed you with all this crazy stuff so I can get your birthright. As well as we can't keep our eyes straight. We walk in the street and we're walking like this. Walking like this, like zombies. Look at all this lady, she's from Poland. This one, she's from Jamaica. This one, she's from, oh, right. Let me just. <laughs> Hey, sir, how you doing? Oh, sir, stop. <laughs> what is that? Amen. You have to make a covenant with your eyes. What the devil is trying to take away from you? Oh, my goodness. In exchange of what? I shared to one, of, one brother the other day. I've been married for 18 years. I respect and I love my wife, but I love God first. I made a covenant with my eyes. I made this decision that saved my heart. I say, God, whenever I see ladies in the street, half naked, she has no respect for herself. Right? She has no sense of respect for herself, and she's a devil agent. She's a devil channel to make me fall away from God, from you. So when I see her, because I've worked with so many people having HIV in Africa, when I see a lady naked, I put HIV in front of her face. That's a sign she's bearing. That means you see that lady, she's naked, that's the way, that's the highway to hell. Try to look at her, you're going to see what's going to happen in your heart. You see that? And then I say, bro, you know what? When you walk, make sure we are so incredibly made, designed by God. That our brain, our brain can do multiple, multiple tasks at the same time. We are so smart. God designed us to overcome all this stuff. So when you're walking, put yourself on automatic pilot. In London, a trip to go somewhere will take you an average of 35, 45, one hour, sometimes two hours journey. What are you doing along the way with those two hours? Don't be idle in your brain. So you're walking in the train, you're, tra- you're traveling, but use those two hours to concentrate on a task, on something you are trying to achieve. You can write sermons, you can read your Bible, you can do things, you can sing praises to God. Don't be idle. Keep yourself busy. Don't just come and confess the same thing, the same thing, and your conscience is dragging you down. You're feeling guilty, guilty, guilty. Before you find out, you're going to leave the church. You're going to leave God. Why? It's not because people are not good in the church. It's because your conscience is not pure. So holiness is the first fruit of salvation. Are we holy? Are we holy? All of us need to be holy. Yes, I don't struggle with impurity, but I struggle with bitterness. That's not holy. When you keep your heart bitter, that means you can't praise God if you're bitter. And the Bible says, be always joyful. So don't keep that bitterness. I struggle with bitterness. I struggle with bitterness. I struggle with living in England. The culture. Honestly, I love people. I love this place. But it's just that. Whoa, it's just so different. Well, you see how people, I don't know what's going on. People just keep drinking, drinking, drinking. Why are you drinking so much? People drink and they vomit in the train, they vomit. Yeah, they drink. Okay, guys, depressed, not fired up, not smiling. When you say hello to your neighbor, it looks the other way. I struggle. I'm coming from a culture where when you wake up in the morning, you knock at your neighbor door. How you doing, neighbor? Are you doing okay? I have a little bit of food to share. Over here, it's like people are looking at you. Yesterday, I was cutting the grass in my backyard, and then a Polish guy came and said, can I help you? That was so unnatural. It was like, this is amazing. In London, you see, I have to repent of bitterness. We have to keep the heart of God holy. And the last thing, 
you got to work hard and bring in more people to God. You need to do that. But how do you do that? You don't do that with a heart, with a grumbling heart. It's not Michael telling the church, we need to baptize people. And then you're bringing people to church for Michael. So you know what, Michael, I have to bring somebody to church. No! It's an expression of your gratefulness. When you are safe, you are so happy to have that relationship with God. How do you feel when you pray? How do you feel when you read your Bible? Because you feel so excited and you know how to overcome sins. And you know the way to heaven. And you see all these people out there, they're like beggars. They're looking for joy. They don't know where is the source of joy. People think it's money. Money doesn't give you lasting joy. So people are depressed with a lot of money in their bank account. Right? And you don't have that much, but you know the secret of joy. So you see them bitter. But why don't you share that grace with them? Expressing your thankfulness. Letting the grace in you, pushing you to share to more people than it's you. That's why we share our faith. Not to be recognized in front of the church. Not to baptize somebody and then we're going to be praised. We share our faith so that we can give a chance to somebody else to have the same destiny we already have in Christ. And if you keep all these three points together, number one, you got to know the nature of your hope in Christ. We're going to heaven. Our name is written in heaven. We say amen about that. Yes, and we got to tell people how to get it. You don't just pray into your heart and it comes to you. You got to become a disciple. You got to repent, get baptized, and then you get sure you have your name written in heaven. Number three, that grace in you, now that you are saved, it should be producing hard work and holiness. Yes. Are you holy? Are you working hard? Let's check all this together. Go back humbly before God and make an assessment of our journey with God and make the necessary adjustment so that the church of God can keep growing from glory to glory. To God's be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.